all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Birth order and sibling rivalry, they may be connected. According to some experts, birth order may have a significant effect on your personality and then who you become. Add in the effects of sibling rivalry and there may be additional changes. Do you think birth order or sibling uh, rivalry between your siblings can really change who you become? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and today we're talking about birth order. But not just birth order, also sibling rivalry, because they really may be connected. According to some experts, birth order may have a really significant effect on your personality and who you become. But then you add in the effects of that sibling rivalry, and there may be some additional changes that kind of bump birth order or affect how you are, no matter what your birth order is. So my question to you is, do you think birth order or the sibling rivalry issues can really change who you become? Do you think they affect who affected who you became, perhaps? And I really do want to hear from you. I think this has to be interactive today. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org so we already have our first caller let me just set the stage really quickly before we get to ronnie um alfred adler uh was a psychotherapist who actually According to literature, first proposed a theory of how birth order can really impact your personality. And he suggests that it can affect the developing personality of a child from the very beginning. Um, So the oldest child um, is going to be very different from the youngest child. And the middle child 
likely significantly different. He also proposed that um, only children are different than all of the above and may be somewhat similar to to first children. So as you're moving through and we talk about um, who you are and what your general characteristics are, um, think about it. Uh, where were you in the birth order? And uh, do you feel like this holds true? I think most people think it really does when we talk about it. All right. Well, let's go on to... I believe it's um, Ronnie in Biloxi. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Hey, thanks for starting us off. Tell us what you have to say about birth order or sibling rivalry. Well, first off, I am, I guess, a child prodigy. Uh I am the oldest, too. You're what now? Say that again. I'm a a child prodigy, a genius. Uh, You're a genius. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading based, I was interested in Freud, Young, profiling, psychology, and all that stuff since I was about six. Wow. And the thing is, honestly, I can, I, it is entirely true, both for me, for my little brother, uh, and, and even I can basically nine out of ten guess uh, where a person is in general life. It is entirely true as to your, how you develop. Do you think it's um, entirely true uh, that birth order is is basically who you become? Is that what you're saying, Rennie? I, I want to. It's, uh, it's a heavy factor. Uh huh. A heavy factor. A heavy factor. But, yes, like with uh, the oldest sibling, but though there is a misnomer, it's the oldest sibling should not be called the. It, it's most of the time they become the load bearing sibling. Load bearing. You know, that's interesting because as Michelle, my producer, and I were talking, um, we we were talking about how the fact that the oldest is often looked upon to be the model and to help out in the household. And so um, if, if you mean that by load bearing, I think you're absolutely correct. Many times, I know in my family of eight, there were eight of us, the oldest of us, I was third. <laughs> so I wasn't the oldest, I was the upper middle. Um, and yeah. so, um, yeah, we were looked on to help out with the younger ones for sure. But um, it's also, it's a gift and a curse. It's like, the thing is, the oldest sibling, I'm going to speak only for myself in this situation. I'm not going to speak for my brother or the middle or the youngest. Okay. The thing is, the oldest sibling basically carries the weight of the world, which means they learn responsibility, uh, nurturing, basically parenting, and sacrifice at a much earlier age. Which, it also means that they don't get as much of a life as, per se, their younger siblings do. So the other thing, too, um, I know, as I've heard many parents say, that with the oldest child, they were sort of cutting their teeth as parents. And so um, they were a little more strict, um, a little more hovering, um, a little more demanding than perhaps on, on the younger children. Do you think that happened to you, Ronnie? Overbearing is a better word. Overbearing. <laughs> Well, hopefully, you know, I think so many times. Well, my mom was a terrible 
absolutely terrible mother with me and with my brother. She let him get away with murder. But but the thing is, and even if I didn't do anything wrong or I did what was right, even though it was antisocial or went against her vanity, I was always attacked and being wrong or mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but in the, in the true grand scheme of things, the thing is the older sibling has an advantage in life. Because they actually, hardship is what forges us to become better. Without hardship, we will just stay in our stagnant state. Hmm. That's so interesting. They, yeah. So, so, but the thing is, the older sibling, like I said about, like, how they get an, intro, an early intro into nurturing and pa- even parenting is older siblings become really, are either the best parents or the worst parents. Because if they don't look, if they learn from their mistakes with their siblings, by the time they actually do become parents, they tend to be already they already cut their teeth, hmm. essentially, as yeah. you as you so eloquently quoted. They already cut their teeth on their little brothers and sisters, so they already learned. Okay, this doesn't work. Yeah, so, uh, that's a I'm, good thought. Um, Ronnie, I, I wonder if others uh, believe that as older siblings who had a lot of responsibility, it gave them the opportunity to practice parenting and it allowed them to become better parents. I would I would. Well, yeah, I would responsibility like to is responsibility. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's parenting, a teacher. Uh, it's all the same skill set. It's just only a different change in terminology in it's like you just have to reassess the parameters, but same thing. Yeah. Whether it's being responsible at work or responsible over this or responsible over that, it's all the same. Yeah. You just have to translate it appropriately. I agree, um, Ronnie, um, about that. Uh, some of what you have said, and and you're right. I think that older children, if you look at the profile of older children, um, many times they are natural leaders and higher achievers, um, tend to be a little bit more bossy, um, and and are often a little more organized and prompt because that's sort of how their life has to be. Um, and, and you know, the, the bossy, controlling um, piece is one of those things that may come from uh, being given more responsibility as a, a quote, family leader. Um, now, Rennie noted he felt like that some of the parenting stuff that he experienced was not always um, appropriate, and that certainly may be. And it may be, like I said from the beginning, many times oldest children, first children, depending on how mature the parents are and how ready to parent and how informed the parents are um, to parent, uh, sometimes the the oldest child really does have a little bit tougher time um, as parents are trying to figure out the rules and regs and what's appropriate in parenting and maybe the terror that something might happen to their child. So, uh, again, setting the stage of he, who you become. And, and here's something that I've never um, seen as a profile um, but I have a question to you. Do you think perhaps that when for older children, um, 
as as parents are figuring out how to parent these first kids, do you think they impart a little more fear in that older child? Are they likely to be lesser risk takers um, because they're all always protected and they always know the dangers? I wonder if if that is part of the breakdown. Um, because as you as you look into what happens with a middle child, um, with middle children, um, they tend to be more flexible, easygoing, independent, a um, little better negotiator, more adaptable, but also maybe a little more rebellious. And so maybe risk-taking a little bit. And and like I, I said at the beginning of the show, I was the third child in my family. And so um, certainly my oldest sibling fits the profile of oldest child, I think. She was very responsible and very helpful in all of that. I was helpful, I believe, but I was the one who sort of stepped out of the tight rule set sometimes, and which was the big joke in our family. I was the first one to sort of step step out when mom and dad said, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe I tried it. So... Um, We'll go to break now that I told one of my little secrets about being the upper middle child. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the general profiles and and where maybe you fit. And then we'll move (laughs) to the issues about that sibling rivalry that, that can also happen. Give us a call. Join in. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. The Adams Family. The house is a museum. When people come to see them, they really are a scream. The Adams Family. Neat. Sweet. Petite. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hey, welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and this is Relatively Speaking and we're talking about birth order and then sibling rivalry and how how that can develop, how how birth order can affect your ultimate outcome and personality and certainly how sibling rivalry can affect your happiness, um, what you become as an adult, and 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 maybe we'll talk a little bit um, later in the show about sibling rivalry and how maybe it can continue into adulthood. So we've talked about um, first children and sort of that personality trait and and how it can shape you. And let me just throw out some famous firstborns. Oprah Winfrey, Walter Cronkite, one of my favorite newsmen of all times. I know that makes me old, but he was awesome. Dan Rather, Arsenio Hall. Uh, More than half of the American presidents have been firstborn. Thought that was interesting. So keep that in mind. All right. Before we start talking um, anymore, we talked a little bit about middle children. But before we do that, I do want to go back to the phone. Charlotte's been waiting a minute. Uh, Charlotte's from Cleveland. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for calling. 
Good morning. I'd like to share a personal experience. My oldest daughter has four children. The oldest is uh, a boy. He's 13 uh, with autism. And the second child, my oldest granddaughter, is 18 months younger. But because of his autism, she takes on the mm-hmm. so-called attributes mm-hmm. of a firstborn. Plus, she is early on, she became really good with my grandson and his uh, everything that he needs. And, I mean, she just super with him. So, in a situation with a special needs child, that I think that happens often, maybe. I agree with you 100%. As as many of you know, um, my practice, 30 years were spent um, seeing children with um, developmental behavioral issues. And, and I've seen many, many children with autism. And I'm always happy when there's a sibling. I, I just think they can be so good for the child with autism and helping them develop those social skills and the communication skills. And, and I've seen that um, before, Charlotte, where a younger sibling sort of um, becomes the, the caretaker, the nurturer, the supervisor, in, in addition to parents, obviously, um, of that sibling. And in fact, um, one of our my practice partners um, at our Center for the Advancement of Youth has an older child with special needs. And her daughter, who is younger, is an amazing, sweet sister who, by the way, it also makes when you have a special needs child in a family and a sibling, it makes those siblings so accepting of other people and anyone. And um, to me... Um, one of those individuals who who is a defender of those with special needs. So I bet that's what you see in that um, that child. Is that right, Charlotte? Uh, yes. In their local Walmart one night, she saw two uh, probably 12-year-old boys getting into an electric wheelchair to uh, go into the store and just play with it. And she said, excuse me, but you sh-, in front of their mother... In front of the boy's mother, she said, excuse me, you should not do that. That is for people who have trouble walking and really need it. (laughs) Good for her. Um, Bad for parents who were um, not supervising to watch that. But, you know, we talked uh, last week a little bit about bullying and um, being a bystander. And um, I know what she did uh, with the wheelchair was not exactly that stepping in. But um, I just want to remind everybody, especially after this the terrible shootings that just happened to make sure that if you know somebody who is is an underdog and is being bullied and um, perhaps has a mental illness or a special need to to defend them so that they don't become individuals who are bitter and angry. So um, I know I got I had to do that aside because I've been so troubled as everybody. But um, Charlotte, thanks for giving us that great example of how birth order sometimes is not what dictates who you are, but it's the situation in the family. That's a really great example. 
All right. Well, let's go to John, who also has been waiting in Benton. Hi, John. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something about being the firstborn. Good. Um, when I was in seminary uh, many years ago, uh, I had to write a personal assessment paper, and one of my choice lines was that both of my parents were the youngest in their families, and I said when I was born, they became the oldest. Ah. And I was like the guinea pig. And uh-huh. uh, uh, years later, I said they did the best they could. Uh, another line in there was that the relationship between me and my parents was like Atlanta and Jerusalem distance. Wow. And my own children, I have two children who are in their 30s now, but even in their teens and 20s would always say, always ask, you say, Dad, why does your mother not like you? Uh, and I really couldn't give an answer. And finally, I was, oh, 50-plus years old, and it was my birthday, and my Mom and Dad always called me, and I was racking my brain about what I could say positive to them and maybe start to heal the relationship a little. Mm-hmm. The best I could come up with was, thank you for bringing me into the world. Well, there you go. John, you know what? Um, were, were they very young when you were born? Uh, yeah, you know, they were 20, 21. Yeah. So um, many times, um, as I mentioned, um, what what can affect you uh, as far as uh, who you become is not always just birth order, but it's also um, how how prepared your parents are for parenting. Um, many times, not at all, and it sounds like your parents were not not prepared at all. And so, you know, not to say that you can't have a twenty or twenty one year old who who's a great parent. Um, we know there are many out there who had children at that young age and ended up doing a marvelous job. But there's some who who struggle and are not ready and are still children themselves. And so um, mistakes are made, and we, we know that. And, and I'm sorry that, that you had to struggle so hard, but it sounds like you had an open relationship with your, your own children, and you were able to do a better job parenting than they were. And sometimes when you get into a situation like that, instead of um, continuing a negative cycle of being a terrible parent, like um, some people had to experience, that, that um hopefully for for many people who are resilient what they do is they change they change that path they change that circuitous route that sometimes families get stuck in they break out they make their own path and become better people and um did you feel like that your your wife helped you um come out of that or did you just work to do, do now my ex-wife, but yes, we 
when I was growing up, um, uh, I think I talked in another show about the abuse and how they handle it. They didn't do very well. But anyway, uh, my, I had the nerve as I was growing up to be the first in the family to like black people and to like Catholics and all this stuff. And my own kids are very open and accepting to other people. My daughter is a kindergarten teacher, and my son uh, uh, happens to work tuning and restoring pianos. But they're both very warm and accepting of all people. So I think I was able to pass that on. Good for you, John. And that's... My wife was also good at that. She, She was also very good at that. That's good. And, you know, that's so wonderful to hear. We know that that can make, that that can change our world. If everybody continues the negative characteristics that um, that our parents sometimes had, then um, we won't be able to change our world for the better. One more thing, and I know you've got other people to talk to, and I appreciate your show. Thank you. Uh, my, my mom is now, uh, she just turned 88, and after the divorce and everything, she has been probably the only one in the family that really tries to understand it and understand me, and we are closer than we've ever been. Well, isn't that wonderful to hear? So yeah, we... I mean, you know, they, have, they have a saying in another support group that says right on time, and it's right on time, just what I needed right now. So here she is. That's great, and I'm glad. And And I think what we need to all remember is it's never too late to reconcile. Um, and so make sure if you have a negative relationship with a parent or a sibling to to work on ways to reconcile. John, John worked hard to come up with a, a a positive response and a positive thought. And so um, I'm glad to hear that there was an, an end good outcome there. So, John, thanks for your call. Um, I think we're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about onlys and perhaps youngest, because there are some differences there, too. Give us a call. I have open lines. I want to hear from you. one mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can send that email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Somebody you just love to burn. Mom loves the both of them. You see, it's in the blood. Both kids are good. The mom, blood's thicker than the mud. It's a family affair. It's a family affair. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about 
birth order, sibling rivalry, the way we were raised. Um, why did it happen the way it happened? Well, you know, certainly we mentioned a little bit about middle children and how middle children maybe are a little more easygoing and flexible and adaptable. Um but may be rebellious and may engage in some attention-seeking behaviors. So um, that's one thing. Now let's talk just quickly. The youngest can also be one of those risk-takers are often more creative. And I've always wondered, is it they're more creative because they have more think time, because parents aren't hovering so about them, and so they're left sort of to their measures to to think about how to be creative. We know that right brain doesn't work very well if it's always cluttered with things to do and and um, chores to do and people talking to them all the time. But to be able to step back a little bit and problem solve and do the puzzles themselves and draw and create themselves. Um, they're usually really friendly individuals who, who have friends um, but sometimes they do expect others to take on their own responsibilities and um, can be a little bit more idealistic and um, maybe a little bit more charming and at the same time manipulative. So some of that's great qualities. Some of it sounds um, um, selfish, but but many times... Um, these individuals can be also very competitive um, and trying to find their own place. And especially um, there are some things that can affect the birth order um, and the way, say, the youngest acts as opposed to the oldest or the middle child. So let me talk a little bit about that real quickly, and then I want to get to Bill and Macomb, who's waiting. So gender. Sometimes gender can throw off that typical birth order. Not always, but if you have an older woman, girl, and then a a boy is born, depending on the way, um, and and a lot of this has to do with ethnicity um, and um, culture, um, but if a sometimes the boy is treated like the top dog, even if he is the younger one. That can be um, age difference also between siblings. If there are five or more years between siblings, it seems that birth order really doesn't apply. So um, if you have a younger child, as in my family, who is eight years younger than the next youngest, um, then that is more like an only child rather than a youngest child, okay? And then the other thing is um, physical attributes. It's just kind of who they are, what they're born with. Um, if a younger sibling is stronger, more confident by personality type, less anxious and less shy, then they may take on that leadership position of the older child. And then twins, blended families, those all can play a part. So as we're moving through, just think about in blended families how sometimes jockeying for a position can play a big part. Whether you were the firstborn in your first family, now you're the thirdborn. 
may may seem to affect things. So lots of things play a part. So I don't want anybody hanging their hat on absolute qualities of birth order because that's not the right thing to do. All right, let's go to Bill, who's in Macomb. Hi, Bill. Thanks for calling. Hey. Hey. I appreciate y'all so much. You are putting on a great speech today, and, and y'all hitting it on the nail. <laughs> the nail on the head. Um, I just want to share a little thing. I was uh, the third child, the third son, and I, I later found out, and I understood it, that, that Mom didn't want any, any girls. She wanted, I mean, any boys. She wanted a girl to start with, so she whipped the boys too much. She wanted us to be perfect preacher's kids which mm. just does not work. <laughs> but we appreciated that anyway. It made us tough, and uh, she made us strong. And uh, and the little girl, my little sister, she turned out to be the governor's right-hand man later on in life. Wow. So everybody everybody turned out successful. Uh, I learned to hide under bridges and stuff and try to stay out of everybody's way, and it wasn't doing that. They had me working somewhere. And I, I, <laughs> I was working since, since I could pick up pecans, you know, when mm. I was seven years old. Wow, uh, yeah later on in life but it, it all went real good and and uh, I, I want to tell you one thing that happened to me being a third child I witnessed the two older brothers not being appreciated too much by by mom and, and dad had to whip them if, if, she, if she wanted him to but uh, I was a third child and then when the fourth child came along the little girl this is something I observed that was amazing to me that I learned to emulate her in order to try to get more affection or, 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 or appreciation from my parents mm-hmm. and uh I remember my daddy hugged me one time when I was grown, and uh, I remember Mama tucked me in bed one time and kissed me on the eye and said good night. But but that, they weren't very affectionate, mm-hmm. and so I changed. I broke those chains with my children. I could hug my sons and kiss them if I want to, and my daughter too. And well, I broke those chains. But back to this emulating thing with my little sister, I learned to emulate her when, when she she was just always so nice and proper and adequate and everything, and and I picked that up. And when I, and I, don't, I turn it on and don't realize it, people say yes, ma'am, to me. I said, why do you say yes, ma'am, to me? Because <laughs> uh, I'm just being so nice. Could you tell me this or pass me that? Or I, I'm here to inquire about something, and they say yes, ma'am, just a minute. And I, I told my little sister that the other day. I, I discovered that that was happening. <laughs> and I was emulating her niceness and adequate and everything when I was, when I was going to be, you know, associated with mm-hmm. people. And I'm just going to share that with y'all. And everybody's doing good. And everybody appreciates mom and dad. And we appreciate each other's brothers and sisters now. But that, that's something we grew up uh, with. And I, I observed that. And, yeah. uh, that's really know. interesting insight, Bill, that you have. Um, and as the the third child, um, did you feel like you said you had a little bit easier time than your two older yeah, brothers? Yeah. yeah. And so some of it may have been that you were smart enough to learn what it took to stay out of trouble. And yeah. And the other thing, too, is as parents um, age and have experience, hopefully some of that strictness softens. Um, The other thing, too, and, and this is not right. Um, it does seem in some families that parents are often, I mentioned that boys sometimes are the revered spot, but as you mentioned, um, sometimes boys are um, disciplined in a more rough manner. I know in many families, parents don't consider spanking their daughters, but they they don't think twice about really whipping their boys. And so, um, you know, I'm not a fan of 
any of that. I never have been, uh, and we don't need to get into that today. I know um, because I was raised in a family of eight where spankings did not happen, and we all turned out to be good people. It can happen. Um, So, Bill, I'm I'm so happy, like we were talking to one of the earlier callers, that you were able to change that path because what you could have done is you could have become bitter and angry and followed the model that your mother um, started. I, I went through an angry period in my teens, you know, right away from home and stuff. just couldn't take it no more. But yeah. over the years, I've got it figured out. Good. One example about what you just said about uh, the, the daughter um, being more less disciplined and stuff, I, uh, she left the door open in a four-door Ford we had back in the 60s, and uh and, and Daddy backed out and tore the door off. And he, came, he came running in the house looking like a grizzly bear. Who left that door open? He was ready to beat me. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I was the only boy back there. But I said, it was Kay, Dad. Oh, I said her name. But, uh, oh, well, okay. He, he, that was over. He, you know, he didn't take that anger any further, but he's fixing to give me a whipping. But uh, I, so- I realized at the end, you know, that if I, I, I wish I'd have been born a girl. Daddy would have loved me more. And, and Mama would have loved me more, too. But... It, it, I, I just had that in my mind, but that's just the way it was, you know. Daddy wasn't very loving-like, and he got yeah. that from his, his grandpa and his daddy and all. They they weren't very affectionate-like. They were just, you know, working. You do your work, and you, you do your books and stuff like that. Very strict. Uh, yeah, yeah. It wore off of them. They were young, you know, and, and all that, and, and they were going through that, uh, making everything perfect, and it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Bill, it sounds like you've done a beautiful job of being both forgiving and resilient. And so um, all I can say is good job. And, and it's good to hear from someone who it sounds like you had a tough upbringing. Well, and, and yeah. I'm grateful for it. I'm, it made yeah. me tough and, and I'm loving it. And I, I do everything that they didn't do. And, and I, I appreciate them so much now. And, yeah. uh, and But these kids that grow up in that and don't make it through those those. Uh, it was a terrible years when they're, you know, feeling abused and neglected and all, and and all, and, and they get in trouble, getting drugs and getting wrecks and die and stuff. And Absolutely, like and that's why if we see that happening to individuals, we need to do something, step in, try to change uh-huh. the pattern. Um, the other thing you mentioned that I want to emphasize is the amount of nurturing an individual gets, and the reinforcement is really important. And and again, I, I think it's it's a sad state that parents think that they have to make their boys so tough that they can't give them a hug and they can't tell them I love you. And um, for listeners out there who are listening, if if that happened to you, don't continue that. It's not the right thing. It's okay to be affectionate to boys. They still will be men. And I I just think that um, there's... there's um, some misconception about the appropriate way to raise children. Everybody needs to feel loved. Everybody needs to to know that they are special. And whether you are a first or second or third born, um, you still have your own special place. Um, my children, um, one time, one of my children one time asked me, um, how... How could you love me as much as you loved your firstborn? And this was when she was pregnant with her 
with her second child. How does that happen? And I said, it just does. It just does because everybody is unique and everybody has their special place. And if we can remember that and teach that to our children and remind everybody that um, you didn't ask to be um, a particular birth order. And um, so you need to be treated as special and um, and Bill, it sounds like you've worked very hard to do that. And the other thing that I hear from you, Bill, that I want to let everybody hear how special this is, is you could have resented the heck out of your sister. And it sounds like you still have a good relationship with her instead. So kudos to you on that. Um, that's the way to live. My mom just to, just to set her straight. She 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 was in a, in a tornado in Tupelo when she was six years old. It devastated the town. You may have heard of it years ago. Mm-hmm, but, uh, mm-hmm. And and she her, there were nine people in her family, and everybody got killed in her family except her and her older brother. Wow. And, and they went to an orphanage, and she lost her leg too. She's a one leg of six year old. Nobody's going to adopt her. And wow. So she, she was tough, so I, I couldn't even get, I couldn't cut my hand or get 10 stitches in my toe without her getting mad at me. That ain't nothing. You know, it hurts yourself again. Now, take you to the doctor again. Was fussing at me when I get hurt, and, and I, I put all that <laughs> together later on. Was she had lost her leg, and she, and she yeah. didn't ever complain about it. She could run me down and beat me with a crutch, you know, with one <laughs> leg on. But, wow. Uh, she was tough, and uh, yeah. I understood all that, and she explained to me in the last two weeks of being alive that uh, she apologized to me, and uh she said, "She said, Daddy had me a job, and I always had to go to work as soon as we moved, and and I, he had us jobs too when we got there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and that's the way that went. And 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 she apologized for for not being so much sweeter, you know, than she yeah. could have been. And yeah, and she knew what happened, and and we did too. And it was all good to get it all understood. And before she signed out, uh, yeah, she was always forgiven. But she she finally went and stayed with her brother. He was older, and he he got a job, and she went and stayed with him. And then she got treated like a housemaid. I heard her life story so many times. Wow. She was tough, and I had respect for that. And she didn't have all that sensitive care and love and stuff like she did with the daughter. Yeah. What she always wanted. And, yeah. yeah. Bill, it sounds like she had a really tough life, and so to know the history is important. But also... To, to know that um, yeah, you can't take that out on, on your, your children. Um, but, but it is tough for a change. So, all right, I think it's time for our final break. Bill, thanks for that call. Um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about birth order and sibling rivalry. We still have time for calls. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Emily, every single day and night. Even when you 
Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. Today we're talking about birth order and then sibling rivalry and and how sometimes birth order can impart some of those feelings of rivalry and and just having a family many times. Um, So sibling rivalry's been there forever, right? Cain and Abel um, in in the Bible. Um, you know, sibling rivalry doesn't always have to be bad. In fact, sometimes it can be a positive thing. Um, having a healthy competition between siblings can can be good. It can teach you how to compete, how to compete fairly if parents um, watch that carefully, and then how to lose and and get up and try again. I mean, look at the example of Venus and Serena Williams. Uh, they've competed against each other so very many times as professionals. And, um, you know, they've gone back and forth in rankings. And certainly um, Serena has, has been more on top. Um, but they seem to still care about each other and really love each other. So those parents did something right for sure, right? Um, so... If you can spin it positively, then then things will go much better. I think um, sometimes we we obsess on the rivalry and we only see the negative, but it's really important to to look as you're stepping through this to to support a little bit of competition, but not make love conditional on who who wins and who's the best. Because the honest truth is, um, in a family, there are often individuals who maybe are a little more talented in the area of sports or the area of music or arts, or that you have um, one of your children who is just more gifted and will make better grades. So as parents are parenting through this, it's really important to keep in mind what you need to support is not who's the best, but who is putting out a good work ethic, who is trying harder, who who is being tenacious about getting something done. That's what should be reinforced. Not who's the prettiest or the smartest or the most talented, because um, that sets up an individual who perhaps is not the prettiest, the smartest, the most talented to feel like a failure. So to make sure that you're careful about um, how you reinforce what you reinforce. Okay, I'm going to um, quickly go to Linda in Port Gibson. Hi, Linda. Thanks for calling. Hi. I, I, I noticed you're talking about sibling rivalry. Let yeah. me turn the radio down. Yeah. You're talking about sibling rivalry. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it can be a sad thing when there's sibling rivalry. But uh, 
I came from a family of 13, and uh, I can't recall sibling rivalry between me and my sisters. You know, we was just like that, but, you know. All taking care of each other. And, yes. and you know, sometimes when you have a family that large, um, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I said the same thing. I don't believe we ever had sibling rivalry. I can remember uh, my siblings when we were young and all in the same yeah. household just kind of yeah. reinforcing a success. If you were successful um, yeah. at something, there was always the positive reinforcement and how proud everybody was. So I think that sometimes those larger families are like that. Now, we don't have many families of 13 or even 8 or 6 anymore. Um, So I I do think that when you have um, two or three children, sometimes inadvertently parents can can pit children against each other. But sometimes they're... There could be a generational difference, and that will create sibling rivalry also. That's well, you know, you're you're right. I mean, um, if there were there were two years or even a year and a half between right. the oldest sibling in your family and the youngest, they were very different. You know, what twenty years yeah. apart at least, right. and so yeah. that can make a huge difference too. So, yeah, Linda, thanks for pointing that out. I think um, the main thing as we are ending the show in our final um, few minutes, few seconds, um, to remember that um, birth order doesn't make who you are. It may influence who you can be, but as you're moving through um, to, to work, to make sure that that your children and yourself um, become the caring, loving, nurturing individual you can be. Whether you're first or last or in the middle, it doesn't matter. You, If you have a skill set and the nurturing and the support, you can become successful. So... Thanks, everybody, for participating. This was a great show. Had lots of great experiences from others out there, and we appreciate your presence. Um, Thanks to our producer and um, engineer today, Michelle McAdoo, and thanks to our call screener, Java Chapman, and thanks to our listeners. And we will be with you next week for Relatively Speaking. And I hope you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here Now coming up next.